This is K-Pop Unmuted, a place for in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight. And Scott Interante. And on this episode, we're discussing November 2016 releases with our guest, Joe Palmer. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Joe is a writer for Cult Scene, which covers K-culture. Is that a good description, Joe? Yeah, yeah. We kind of discuss as much as we can, so I would... Mostly write about K-pop, but also uh, Korean cinema quite a bit more recently. And uh, then we go into TV and fashion and a bit of everything, yeah. Great. So we'll be doing another monthly roundup looking at all of the music that has come out in this past month that we haven't gotten to talk to you so far yet. But I think before we do that, there was some kind of big news in the past few days that we wanted to get to. Right. So the word came out officially that what many of us expected, that 21 is being disbanded. And we discussed it a little bit before we started recording. It's not a surprise, but it's still a little bit of a shock. I think maybe the news to come out of it, if there is any, is that Park Bohm is not part of YG anymore. Dara and, of course, CL are still with YG. So are you guys pretty big uh, 21 fans? Um. <sighs> I, I was at the beginning of kind of getting into K-pop. Uh, obviously, for a lot of people, I think they're kind of a entry sort of group, especially because of how Western they are, and they stick to kind of Western trends more so than other groups. Definitely tailed off after a couple of months, and then after everything that's happened, it's kind of just become less and less interesting to follow them. But it is kind of a shock still. It feels like the end of the generation that got me into K-pop, you know, with... Four Minute and Kara, Rainbow all disbanding as well. It really feels like we we only look look out for really new groups like Red Velvet and EXO and BTS. You know the stalwarts <laughs> are all all leaving us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like a very big Twenty One fan, but I think songs don't get better than "I Love You" by Twenty One. I mean, that to me is like a really perfect pop song. You know, and obviously they've just been such a big force in K-pop and in pop music in general. So, I mean, luckily we'll still have a lot of CL stuff to look at and whatever she's doing in America. But like Joe said, it's kind of more significant as like um, an end of an era sort of thing. Yeah, they sure do leave behind a great catalog. I remember, I think it was probably when Minzy left the group, Scott asked on Twitter, what's your favorite 21 song? And... Just going back through the list of everything they put out with with the way that YG promotes its groups, it's amazing how many great songs they've released over the years. Yeah. I don't want to be selfish in uh, in starting out here, but it might be appropriate having talked about Twenty One to start out with Blackpink, who uh, I want to talk about. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. I don't know where I get that idea. Blackpink killed Twenty One. <laughs> They did this. (laughs) So Blackpink, of course, they had a double release debut and they have had a double release comeback. And I've got to say, I think I liked their debut more than you did, Scott. Yeah. But they didn't truly win me over with that. I think I'm really on board this time. And I've, I've even got some theories, which makes it more fun. The first release that I listened to, I think it's the best song that they've put out is Playing With Fire. Yeah, I agree. 
have to say when I first listened to it, I had heard all the members' names, but I didn't really know who was who, and I certainly couldn't recognize their voices. But as you go through that song, I think Jenny has the first part, and Jisoo, and the third singer, who I didn't really know who it was at the time, turns out it's Rosé. Uh, when she started singing, her voice really struck me. It's a very distinct, compelling voice. And my thought was that she is going to kind of be the signature sound of Blackpink. I think Rosé is going to be how you know that you're listening to a Blackpink song the same way that Park Bohm, to me, was how you knew you were listening to a 21 song. Even though she wasn't necessarily the star of 21, I think she really added the most distinct sound to that group. Right. And I think she's half Australian as well. So I think that might be why she gets that kind of twang almost. Yeah. And I'm a little surprised that that wasn't trained out of her. I give YG some credit for letting her keep that style, which isn't something that you would hear. You know, you would think they might say, well, she's she can sing. Let's teach her how to sing pop music. So the second release is Stay, which is sort of an unusual song. But it starts out with Rosé uh, with a guitar in her lap singing. And that leads to my first theory, which is I think Rosé is probably going to have the first solo out of this group. But I think that song could have been a lot better if it were a Rosé solo or if they had stuck with sort of what they started that song with. I think the campfire harmonica and sing-along chorus, they're okay. I don't, I'm not as upset with them as some people are, but the other parts of that song are really good. I was going to say, actually, like, I quite like the campfire parts. All the other parts are just <laughs> quite dull to me. So I, yeah. I find that to start, after about a minute, when it gets to the chorus, I'm quite bored, and then it kind of gets me back in. But even then, just because it's, it's kind of nice, I kind of tend to believe that all ballads are born equally bad, and I <laughs> find it hard to, uh, to get out of that sometimes. But this one has some nice bits. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, not really shy in my <laughs> dislike of Blackpink when they first came out, uh, or more just confused by their popularity. But these releases definitely I thought were more interesting. And so, you know, again, I'm still holding out hope that maybe they can rise to properly fill the boots of 21 that they have stolen. And <laughs> oh, <boy>. uh, <laughs> maybe I will continue to like them more and more in the future. All right, Joe, what's uh, the first song that you'd like to talk about? So we'll go for some more Tropical House then, I guess, with Barry Good's Don't Believe. Barry Good are one of those girl groups that stay on the fringes kind of perpetually. Their earlier stuff is quite poor, but then this year they've had a really good year. Their first song is one of my favorite of the year called Angel. The vocals are incredible. Then uh, they came back, they did one of those Make Star Fun things, kind of like Kickstarter for K-pop. They released this more dancey track, which 
was disappointing at first for me because it let go of the vocals that really drew me to them. But uh, more and more I kind of started to get into the rhythm of it and liked that they decided to pull back the vocals and focus on something a little bit more musical. And uh, I really like how with each growing part, the uh, lyrics and the music kind of grow in intensity. So they start off talking about how they were kind of disappointed in the man they strongly believed in him. And then more uh, details are added in the second verse where the girl starts singing about how all of life is meaningless to them now, eventually leading up to the kind of more musical chorus. I think Tamar Herman may have tweeted out earlier this week that people are sort of sleeping on very good in this song. Uh, is, is that your impression that they're not having the success that maybe they deserve with this release? I don't know if they necessarily deserve it, but it feels like something that could have been a bit more popular. I think if they had done it maybe two months before, before like BTS and Blackpink got on the same similar trend, it might have been a bit more interesting. Whereas right now it sounds a little bit samey. But I think Angel is what people should have been listening to, even though it is a little bit cheaper production. It's a, a incredible piece. I think this is a really good song. And if later in their career, Barry Good breaks through and has a big hit, I think this may be the song, sort of like when EXID had Up and Down, and their longtime fans would say, you know, oh, that's a good song, but you need to go back and listen to every night. Uh, yeah. Yes. Right? And I think <laughs> this may be the song that Barry Good fans say, but, you know, this song is great, but you need to go back and listen to Don't Believe. Exactly. Maybe yeah. Angel. They're yeah. always great. You just yeah. never knew. Cool. So I've got one that's also two, like your pick, Stephen. Um, I, th I think on the last Roundup month in October, I talked about the Hyorin song, which came before this sort of new mini album she released called It's Me. Now there have been two more singles from it, Paradise and One Step featuring Jay Park. And they're both pretty great in different ways. One Step is, you know, more of what I would kind of expect from Hyorin of Sistar, uh, if I did not say that. And Jay Park, it's kind of more of an R&B, sultry, mid-tempo, a little sexy. And that's great. It's a really great song. And I feel like every time I listen to it, I like it more and more. But then also she released a song called Paradise, which is more up-tempo. It's got this kind of saxophone riff thing, which was very popular a year ago. And I guess she's trying to bring it back. And it's got, you know, this fun, dancey music video. And like I've said before, I'm kind of a, a sucker for anything Hyorin does. Uh, she's definitely my favorite member from Sistar, and Sistar is one of my favorite groups. So to get a, uh, a new solo mini album from her is just fine with me.
Kyorin took time to, to kind of entice me. I didn't really get it at first, but after a couple of her solo works and more recent Sistar songs, I think her voice has a, such an evocative sense to it that almost sounds damaged the more she yeah. pushes it. But it always like has such an emotion that a few, even the, even more like measured, probably better vocals don't have that same sort of emotion. Yeah, definitely. I liked both of these songs. Paradise struck me as a more unusual, maybe interesting song. It's got a really fast tempo and the bridge is kind of crazy. I don't know whether there's something I should be listening for in that bridge, but that bridge really jumps out at me. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty weird thing. I don't know. There's <laughs> that sort of Latin jazz piano that comes in is particularly weird and cool. Also, the the whole music video is not similar enough where I would call ripoff, but it's very similar to Nicki Minaj's Anaconda, like the sort of visual aesthetics <laughs> of it, which I think is a weird choice, <laughs> but but it's cool. I'm, I'm okay with it. Kioran seems to have versatility as far as uh, concept. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I love her collaboration, I think it was with Zico and Palo Alto, Dark Panda, a much more kind of British, like 90s hip hop yeah, uh, yeah. dance thing, which I thought was really good. I'd love to see her do more of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that this mini album is really cool because it kind of showcases that versatility of style. So, uh, yeah, it's me. I think it's great. Well, a song that came across my radar this month is High Five by Riso, who's a solo female singer. I thought I was very cutting edge to find this song. I'd never heard of Riso before, and I actually went back and, and listened to some of her earlier songs. She has been around a little while and has some really great music. But Joe, I take it that you are familiar with Riso. Somewhat, yes. She's on this really good label called Walt Sofa Records. And I think Homie and Urban Stereo, you know, that producer he worked with, uh, Narsha and Gina on one of his albums, he kind of does most of the work there. Homie and Urban Stereo's kind of signature sound is this kind of like really funky new disco thing, which permeates all of it. High Five is, I think it's the kind of music that I would make if I had the skills to do it. I mean, this is right up my alley. It's, it starts out with a really quirky intro. It's got, uh, you know, ambient sounds and, and sampled vocals. And there's some cutesy sing talking. Then there's a horn blast and it drops into this bass heavy dance music. You know, a while back I ran across a term for a subgenre of J-pop called kawaii bass. Kawaii meaning cute, more or less, in, right. in Japanese. I don't know if I've ever come across real kawaii bass, but this is how I think kawaii bass <laughs> should sound. This is how I imagine it. Yeah, I mean, I was really into her single OMG was maybe last year. I didn't know that she had uh, new music coming out, so now I've got to go back and listen to all this again. All right, Joe, do you want to take the next one? Yes, we go on to something similar enough again. The next girl of the month from Luna, who you guys talked about recently, I think. So they're uh, releasing a new member every month until they uh, debut as a 12 uh, girl group. 
So this is a collaboration between Hyunjin and Heejin. Heejin was last month's girl and Hyunjin is this month's girl. It's called I'll Be There. Similar to Risso, it's kind of new disco as well, a little bit more synthy though, uh, great funk to it. Um, Hyunjin's solo single was quite nice, but uh, her voice couldn't really carry it, so pairing her with Heejin, that kind of sub-vocal, lead vocal uh, pairing works really well, kind of in building the song up to its climax. excited about this whole Luna project that they're doing. I don't know though that it is it kind of catching on enough? Are these releases getting a lot of attention? I was wondering that as well, especially in Korea, I don't know. And even internationally, it seems to be growing a little bit. If, even if it is catching on right now, they have to sustain that for another 10 months right, right. and then <laughs> have the whole debut. I, I'd love to see it work, but it's hard to Hard to see that happening. Yeah, yeah. The music video doesn't have the views that you might expect, and, and you know, one of my impressions of the song was it, it's a shame that they're not promoting it because it's it's such a great song, and there's been so much work put into the song, the video, the choreography. You know, for this to just be one out of twelve or twenty-three or however many music videos and releases they end up doing pre-debut. It seems like a shame if it's if it doesn't get the attention it deserves. Definitely. They've had such a consistent quality well even just over the three music videos and songs. To see that coming from a group that has a new debut is really, really cool, but uh hopefully it doesn't go unnoticed. There's so many great details in in the song and in the video. I just want to point out one thing I noticed about the video. They try to give you the feeling of a low-budget, casual music video, mm -hmm. but if you watch it, you can tell that it's really well done. And one thing that I noticed was in the intro, the members sing this little rhythm. After the intro that disappears, you might not think you'd hear it again, but in the bridge, that little melody comes back in the background. In the music video, they do a split screen and they have this singer who's singing the main vocals shown. And then in another screen, there's close-ups of just the mouth of the other member, or sometimes they have both of them. I didn't even notice it at first, but they're mouthing that da-dum-dum-dum-dum melody that's in the background. And I thought that was kind of cool how they use a music video to sort of bring that out, something that you might not otherwise be conscious of when you're listening to the song. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's one of my favorite things about K-pop is how important the visuals are, especially music videos, but also choreography. I think it, it can elevate songs to a different level in terms of not just noticing things like that, but also in theme and uh, yeah, it's definitely my, one of my more, the more one of the most interesting things about K-pop is the visual aspect rather than just the musical aspect. Cool. So my last pick here is also Sistar. Is that is that fair? Am I allowed to do <laughs> That's that? That's okay. Um, That's allowed. But this is kind of a weird version of Sistar. I, it's I don't know. I mean, it's billed as Sistar featuring Giorgio Moroder, the famous disco innovator and 
all around cool guy. And, you know, the music video doesn't feature any of the four members of Sistar. So I, I sort of feel like it's just this interesting collaboration that they got to do and they put it out. But it's not really like it's not something that they're promoting too much. So it's kind of a weird standalone thing. But it's this song. It sounds like a Giorgio Moroder song. This very electro disco and the music video, though, is this lesbian love story between these two women. One has this abusive boyfriend, and um, spoiler, at the end, they murder him, which is great. And <laughs> the song, I think, is maybe not as interesting as I'd like it to be, but the novelty of what it is, I think, is enough to make it worthwhile. I think especially the music video is really great. One more day. So it's uh, One More Day, Sistar, Giorgio Moroder. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I think it's fair to say the music video it was better than the song to me. Yeah. That moment where you figure out what's in the suitcase that they're dragging through the streets <laughs> at the start of the video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it does feel a little like he, uh, he phoned it in a little bit. The post-chorus kind of breakdown of all the synths is amazing. And everything else is pretty good. But then the video is great. Like if the girls were in the video... That would have been even better, but obviously we can't really expect that of uh, of K-pop stars. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love if Georgia Moroder enjoyed his time with K-pop and will come back and try some more things and maybe be a bit more uh, daring with uh, some different groups. Yeah, I'm, I don't know specifically the background of how this came to be. I would assume it's like a song that he had written and produced that didn't get used on his last album that he put out and somehow through you know some a and r person it ended up getting vocals translated and recorded by sistar it doesn't seem like this was something that they went out of their way to like oh what if we have sistar and giorgio moroder collaborate together in the same room or something you know you know on the other hand he seems very invested in it he's He's in the video, yeah, and he was at a, I don't know if it was the concert where they premiered it, but he was at a concert where they were performing. Yeah. They cut to him in the crowd, actually, and he was singing along. I thought it was quite cute. <laughs> yeah. I'm really in favor of this kind of project, and, I, and like you said, I hope they try it again. To me, the combination of the disco sound and the EDM, almost dubstep sort of sound, didn't work for me. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, that's sort of like the thing he's doing now. It tends to be less interesting than stuff that's pure disco and less interesting than stuff that's really good EDM. It seems like he has a more surface level understanding of what to do with the EDM sounds than younger producers that are sort of within the genre for real. So, you know, obviously he's still this huge legend and i think he's still very competent but i i kind of agree with you so i think that's the end of what we wanted to highlight this month obviously there's still so many songs and releases and bits of news that we did not get to but you know we're we're just one podcast guys 
Yeah, and I might want to mention there actually were some, I believe, some male artists that put out some music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fiction and Snooper, I, I especially liked. I don't know why they seem to be sort of girl-focused. Not a surprise, given this lineup that we have today. Yeah. But uh, Yeah, it's a shame. I thought I should almost felt compelled to pick a boy group, but I was trying to force it, like maybe B2B or one of those groups, but uh, just it wasn't there. It wasn't in me. Yeah, and we did talk about Shiny in the previous two episodes, so... True. And XO, CBX, but yeah, there's... Oh, sure, overall, we're, we have some balance. <laughs> this this month in particular. Yes, yes. Great, so thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Thank you for having me. It was great. It was fun. If people wanted to find you and your work, where could they do that? You can find me on Twitter, at Captain Joe Hook, and on cultscene.com, where I try to write every week. And that's cult scene with a K, of course. Yeah, K-U-L-T-S-C-E-N-E. Yes. And, of course, you can follow the show at K-Pop Unmuted on Twitter or Facebook. You can leave a comment on kpopunmuted.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Interante. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-A-N-T-E. And Stephen? You can find me on Twitter at Tennessee Appeal. Please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and review, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.